Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to church. Actually, now that I think about it, that doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? Like, you're kind of welcoming us into your place. So thanks for having us over. So whether you're watching in your living room or your kitchen or outside, whether you're watching in Fairfield Island or Yarrow or Abbotsford or Chilliwack Mountain or Rosedale or River's Edge or Red Deer or Calgary or Manitoba or New Brunswick or all over the world, I want you to know something. I've been praying for you. I've been praying for you all week and I feel like God is asking me to give you a history lesson today which is kind of interesting because it's a blast from my past. My first 10 years after graduating from university, I was a history teacher. And so I'm going to go back to my past to talk a little bit about the past. So let me start this way. During the 20th century, there were two global conflicts, which for people alive at that time changed life as they knew it. World War I and World War II. Now, World War II is the deadliest conflict in human history. 85 million people died. Hundreds of millions more were wounded or injured. Now, historians will tell you that World War II actually started in 1939, but I actually think an argument could be made that World War II actually started, or at least the seeds that became World War II were planted in 1925. You see, in 1925, a book was published called Mein Kampf. The English translation of that German, those German words is actually my struggle. It was written by Adolf Hitler. It was a rambling and disorganized memoir. But if you read it very carefully, what you would see is three main strategies in Mein Kampf. And the first strategy was this, that the National Socialist Party, which would later on become known as the Nazis, must seize control of the Reichstag or the German government. Strategy number two was... <coughs> Uh, kind of this sense that all of the world's problems and specifically all of Germany's problems were the fault of the Jews and therefore the Jews must be eliminated from the face of the planet. And strategy number three was Hitler saying that the pure German race or the Aryans must have Lebensraum, which is a a German word meaning living space. And Hitler even said where they were going to get their living space, that they were going to go east into the Soviet Union and take the wheat fields of the Ukraine and the oil fields of the Caucasus. And then they were going to head west into France to set themselves up eventually for global domination. So again, let me say this. He wrote the book in 1925. He published the book in 1925. Well, in 1933... Uh, strategy, strategy number one was complete. The National Socialist Party, later on to become known as the Nazi Party, seized control of the German Reichstag, or the German government. And immediately, Hitler began working towards strategy number two. He enacted legislation that began to marginalize the Jewish people to pave the way for what he referred to as the final solution to the Jewish problem. We now know it as the Holocaust, that over the next 12 years in history, six million men women, little boys, and little girls were killed, were murdered for no other reason than that they were Jewish. And Hitler laid the groundwork for strategy number three. He began to illegally and rapidly militarize. So he worked on the, uh, the German military on land, in the air, and on the seas to set themselves up for world domination. So remember, the book was published in 1925. The National Socialist Party, the Nazis, came to power in 1933. They wrote a book. So you ask yourself, okay, well, what did the world do when they saw strategy number one unfolding? What what was the response of the world at that time? And the response is a political word called appeasement. And what appeasement actually means is, let's pretend this isn't happening and it will all go away. Okay, so appeasement is a political word that basically means let's pretend that this isn't happening and it will all go away. Now remember, I told you, Hitler wrote a book in 1925. Everyone could read it. But the course of action that the world chose in 1933 was appeasement. Let's pretend that this isn't happening, it will all go away. The, the main champion for appeasement was a, was a man by the name of Neville Chamberlain. He was the Prime Minister of Britain. So throughout the 1930s in the British Parliament, every once in a while there was this member of Parliament named Winston Churchill. And he would stand up and he would say, hey guys, uh, he wrote a book. Here it is. 
I know what's coming. So here's what I think we should do. We should stop Hitler before it's too late, but he was mocked and largely ignored. And the Prime Minister, Neville Chamberlain, continued with appeasement. So in 1938, uh, Germany absorbed Austria and Chamberlain did nothing. And then he marched into the Sudetenland and Chamberlain did nothing. And then he conquered the rest of Czechoslovakia and Chamberlain did nothing. And finally the world put a line in the sand. And in September of 1939, Hitler crossed it. The Nazis, the Nazi Germany invaded Poland. Britain declared war. Chamberlain resigned. And Churchill took over as prime minister. And when he did, he had this to say. He said, Mr. Chamberlain, you had a choice between war and dishonor. You chose dishonor, and you will get war. Now, I tell you all of that because I would suggest to you that here we are in 2020, March 29th, 2020. And there are two global conflicts which are changing life as we know it. The first, of course, is the pandemic known as COVID-19. It's changing life. It's changing society. It's changing the way that we interact. I'll tell you, over the last week, I've had a couple conversations, to be honest with you, that really broke my heart because I see people that are absolutely losing hope. That the, the brokenness outside of them is leading to brokenness inside of them. And so I felt like I'm supposed to get up here as a history teacher and tell you something. It's gonna be okay. It's gonna be okay. I wanna, I wanna look at you right now and I wanna tell you, it's gonna be okay. It's not gonna be easy, but it's gonna be okay. It's not going to be as quick, maybe, as we wish that it would be, but it's going to be okay. There's going to be some challenges along the way, but it's going to be okay. We're going to have to get through this together, but it's going to be okay. You look at me and you say, well, Mike, how can you say that? How, how, how can you say that it's going to be okay? Well, I have a little bit of perspective as someone who has studied history for most of my life. See, in some ways, what we're walking through as a culture right now is unprecedented. But in other ways, it's not completely unique, is it? Like, if you go back and you look at history, you'll see that the world has faced adversity before. World War I, the Spanish flu, the Great Depression, World War II, the Cold War, 9-11. And one of the things that history has shown me is that the darker the night, the brighter the dawn. We're actually gonna get through this. And it's actually gonna be okay. And I know for some of you, there's a temptation to allow the hopelessness that you see out there to impact you. And, and I want to let you know that I'm believing for you today that hope is going to rise. In fact, I want to suggest to you right now, if you're running a little, bit, a, a little bit low on hope, you can borrow some of mine. So before we go any further, let me just pray for us. Dear God, experts say that a person can actually live for 40 days without food for three days without water, eight minutes without air, but we can't live a single second without hope. So I pray for every single person all over the world who's watching this. I pray that in their life right now, in their heart right now, that hope would rise. That hope would rise. That hope would rise in every man and every woman, in every boy and every girl, that hope would rise in every family. God, that even the brokenness outside of us would not be able to break us on the inside of us. So Father, I pray that you would put a stop to this coronavirus. We know that you could do anything. We know that you could put a stop to the spread right now. But Father, in the meantime, we also pray for all of those who are on the front lines of this battle. We pray for the nurses and the doctors. We pray for the first responders, for the heroes. And God, I pray that we as a culture would not be quick to forget those who place themselves in danger so that we can live our lives. Father, we pray for the researchers and the scientists who are working around the clock to find a vaccine, to find a cure for this virus. Father, I pray that you would give them incredible ingenuity and creativity. We thank you for the pieces of good news that are starting to even leak out this week. Father, I pray that you would just accelerate that. I pray for our leaders. I pray for our civic leaders, our provincial leaders, and 
for the, the leader of our nation, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. I pray for world leaders, no matter what nation they're from. God, I pray that you would give them wisdom. I pray that you would surround them with counselors who have great insight. And I pray that you would also give them the courage to take the steps that you lead them to take. Father, we love you. And we trust you. And one more time, I pray for every single person who's watching this, who has invited me into their home for this moment. Let hope rise. Let hope rise. Let hope rise. In your name. Amen. Amen. So I said there's two global conflicts right now that are changing life as we know it. The first is the pandemic. Here's the second, and we've been talking about it for the last few weeks, that there's a, there's a spiritual battle raging here below, right? And, and so you have a friend in Jesus, and you, ha- you have an enemy in the devil. And here's what the devil is doing. So, so you say, well, th- this, this spiritual battle has been raging, raging throughout history, and that's so true, but I would say specifically, the battle is fierce right now. And I think the battle is fierce because what the devil wants to do is he wants to take the, the, the darkness out there and bring darkness in here. He wants to bring the brokenness out there and bring brokenness in here. That he wants to take the panic out there and bring panic in here. And so what we've been doing is we've turned our attention to the second last book of the Bible, the New Testament book of Jude. Jude wrote this letter in 75 AD. And, and, and he's talking all about the battle that's raging here below, the spiritual battle that's raging here below. It's funny because in some ways, I would suggest to you that uh, Jude is a first century Winston Churchill. Jude is a first century Winston Churchill. So you remember how Churchill would stand up in parliament and say, he wrote a book. There's three things he's gonna do. I know he's gonna do them. Well, Jude stood up in the first century and said, you have an enemy, his name is the devil, and there's three things he's gonna do. I know he's gonna do them. John chapter 10, verse 10 says it this way. He's going to come to steal and kill and destroy. I know it for sure. He's a first century Winston Churchill because he said, listen, we, 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 we don't need to get crazy, but we do need to be clear. We don't need to be afraid, but we do need to be aware. Jude said appeasement doesn't work. Pretending there's no battle and hoping that it'll go away doesn't work. Not afraid, but aware. And Jude said in the first century, and I say to you today, that we don't need to be afraid. Because when we're aware, listen, when we're aware, what we find is that we have everything that we need to stand our ground. We don't have to give it up an inch. That we have everything we need to fight the good fight. That we have everything we need, not just to scratch and claw and spend our whole lives fighting for victory, that we can take a stand and we can fight from victory. In other words, we can see victory in our lives. We can see victory in our families. We can bring victory to others, to this world. Reminds me during World War II when, when the battle seemed the bleakest and when the British people were, were at their most frightened. Winston Churchill came up with this quick um, sign and it was this. And it was this, victory. Victory on land, victory in the air, victory at sea. And you know what, if you're, if, if you're watching this right now and you're on the chat, why don't you throw up one of these? Victory, yeah, you guys can do it too. Victory, right? Victory, victory. That, that's, that's who you were born to, to be. You're a victor. That's what you were born to bring. See, whatever defeat you see out there doesn't change the fact that there's victory inside of you, that you can bring, brick, you can bring victory to others. Victory. Victory. Not afraid, not afraid, but aware. And so we start out last week when Jude opens up the book by saying, I'm Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. <clears throat> and of course, Jude was actually also a brother of Jesus, but he didn't mention that. And we talked about the fact that God gives grace to the humble. God gives grace to the humble, that the first step in winning that battle that rages here below is just to be humble, to know that you need help. Well, let's continue reading. He says this, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. 
Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith, to contend for the faith, to contend for the faith. In other words, this is gonna be a fight. This is gonna be a fight. We're gonna have to stand our ground. We're gonna have to fight the good fight. We're gonna have to fight from victory. Contend. What exactly does it mean to contend for the faith? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says it this way. The weapons that we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. There's a battle raging here below. You have a friend in Jesus. You have an enemy in the devil. You know, in John chapter 14, Jesus said, I am the truth. In John chapter eight, we read that the devil is the father of lies, that when he lies, he speaks his native language. What am I saying? I'm saying this, that this battle that's raging, it's actually a battle between truth and lies. And where is the battle raging? The battle is in your mind. The battlefield is in your mind. Let me put it this way. If you're a Christian, here's the good news. Your eternity is secure. The only thing that still hangs in the balance is your life. What kind of life are you gonna live? Are you gonna live a life of power? Are are you gonna live a life of purpose? Are you gonna live an effective life? Are are you gonna live a life of victory? Are you gonna live a life where you see victory? Are you gonna live a life that you bring victory to those around you? That will all be determined by the result of the battlefield of your mind. See, we're in an incredibly uh, challenging chapter of history right now. No doubt about it. But what's amazing is one day, maybe months from now, maybe, maybe years from now, we're gonna look back at this chapter and we're gonna have a story to tell about the way that we lived through this chapter of history. And the story that you have to tell about how you handled this chapter of history will be determined by the results of the battlefield of your mind. Like, are you gonna have a story to tell that says, you know what, there was defeat on the outside, but it never changed the victory on the inside. Not only that, but I, but I saw victory in my life. I saw victory in my family. I brought victory to others. That's all gonna be determined in the battlefield that is your mind. So I wanna talk today about how we can turn the tide in the battlefield that is our mind. I wanna talk about three lies that lose ground, three lies, it's a battle of lies versus the truth. So I wanna talk about three lies that lose ground and three truths that triumph. Three lies that lose ground and three truths that triumph. So here's the first lie that you are gonna be tempted to believe and if you believe it, if you live as if you believe it, you will lose ground in the battlefield of the mind. Here it is, you can't trust God. Lie number one, you can't trust God. That's a very old lie. All the way back to the beginning in the Garden of Eden, the devil disguised as a serpent slithers up to Eve and says, "Um, why don't you take a bite of that fruit? And Eve says, God said we can't. And the serpent says, you can't trust God. God's holding out on you. God's a cosmic killjoy. Take a bite. It'll be fine. You can't trust God. So I can stand up here and I can tell you, man, like, God loves you, and he does, and God's with you, and he is, and God's for you, and he really is, and he's got a plan for you, a plan of victory, victory. Even in this dark time, he has a plan for you, and it's called victory. But you're gonna be tempted. In the battlefield that is your mind, you're gonna be tempted to believe that lie, you can't trust God. I'll give you an example. One of the ways that God talks about in the Bible that we can just live where, where, we, where we see victory and we bring victory is through love, that we would be people that are known for our love. And 1 Corinthians 13 defines love this way. It says, love is patient, love is kind. It doesn't envy, it doesn't boast. It's not rude, proud, or self-seeking. Love cares more for others than it cares for itself. Love always protects. 
And that's power. And that's victory. And we live in a culture where people are constantly tempted to go in their computer and surf porn. So, so, so on one hand, we know God says, no, 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 I got a life of power for you. I got a life of victory for you. And it, it's all about love. It's all about uh, care more for others than you care for yourself. It's all about kindness. It's all about protection. And yet, there's this battle going on in people's minds where they say, God's holding out on me. I can't trust God. I'm going to serve porn anyways. And it's amazing because maybe you've already heard this, but a vast majority of the men and women involved in the porn industry are addicted, abused, coerced, and discarded. And a massive number of the men, and especially the women, do not make it out of that industry alive. So as someone who has spent years of my life studying history, you look back and you see that there was times in, in different cultures throughout world history where, where people would worship these false gods and the way that they would worship them is that they would actually sacrifice their own children, sacrifice the children of the nation to these false gods. And you look at that and you say, that's demonic. I agree. I agree, you're right. So we live in a culture where people are constantly tempted to surf porn. I would suggest to you, I'm not trying to be crazy, but I am trying to be clear. I would suggest to you what that is doing is that's inviting demonic activity into your life. Can I put that another way? You're losing in the battlefield that is your mind. What does that look like? You know, the devil comes to steal and kill and destroy. This is how it manifests itself, by the way. You wonder, man, why am I feeling so fearful all the time? Why am I so anxious? Why am I so terrified? And why is anxiety such a big issue for me? Why am I always exhausted? Why am I always feeling so isolated and detached? Why am I so full of self-pity? Why do I always feel so defeated and demoralized? Oh, here's why. You're losing in the battlefield that is your mind. The devil is a liar, they say. The devil is a liar. So when you lie, you're cooperating with him. So don't lie, be a be a truth speaker. Have you ever noticed that every once in a while we're tempted to lie about stuff that just doesn't even make sense? Like you had Fruit Loops for breakfast and someone comes up to you and says, what did you have for breakfast? And for some reason you just wanna say bacon. Well, I don't blame you, like bacon's awesome, but why? That's the battlefield of your mind. Be a truth speaker. The, The one area of that one that I really struggle with is I'm a super enthusiastic person. Okay, so like, by, by the way, thanks again for having me over. But, but let's say when this whole thing is over, you have me over like for real and, 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 and you make dessert. And, and one of the things that I know that I often do, I'll, someone will make dessert and I'll eat it and I'll say, that's the best dessert I've ever had in my life. That's the best dessert I've ever had in my life. I probably said that to 20 people that are watching and I, I apologize, but you know what? It actually wasn't the best. It was really good, but it probably wasn't the best I've ever had in my life. Just be a truth. There's one exception. If your wife comes home with a new pair of jeans and she says, do these jeans look good on me? You're always allowed to say yes, okay? So that's just from Pastor Mike to you. Don't steal. Don't steal. The devil comes to steal, so don't cooperate with him. Don't steal. Don't steal from the government by not paying your taxes. Don't, don't steal from your employer but by not really working like you say you're gonna work. See, because what happens is when we take hold, when we believe that, that lie that says you can't trust God, that, that, that he's holding out on you, you lose ground in the battlefield of your mind and then all of a sudden you say, man, why am I feeling so tired? Why am I feeling so anxious? Why am I feeling, feeling so isolated? That's why, because you're losing ground in the battlefield that is your mind. And the story that you're gonna tell one day about this chapter of your life is gonna come down to the results of that battle. So don't give up ground. So lie number one is you can't trust God. Lie number two is a little bit of hatred never hurt anybody. A little bit of hatred never hurt anybody. They say there's a lot of haters out there. A lot of haters. (laughs) I don't know about that. I do know this though. Uh, Hateful people, the person that they usually hate the most is themselves. So let me talk about that. Stop hating yourself. 
Don't believe the lie that says a little bit of hate for yourself never hurt anybody. Don't believe the lie that says you deserve it. You don't deserve it. See, I know, I know what happens sometimes is you look back at the failures of your past and you say, man, like I, 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 can, I can never move beyond that. Like I'm, you, you just live in the failures of your past. Well, earlier I said something. I said that you have a friend in Jesus. Can I explain that a little bit further? Can I explain that what I mean by that is Jesus Christ is the son of God. He stepped into human history and he died on a Roman cross. He was crucified for you so that your sins could be forgiven. So, so, so when God looks at you, when you call out to Jesus, when God looks at you, he doesn't see you through a lens of your failures. He sees you through a lens of forgiveness because of what Jesus did at the cross. And so here's the thing. You, you can bring him your baggage. You can bring him your regret. You can bring him your shame. You can bring him all the things that might cause you to actually hate yourself. And you can lay him down to the foot of the cross and then move on. Move on. And I know for some of us, we look back and go, man, like, you don't, you don't even understand my past. It's so checkered. I believe you. Same here. But here's the thing. The same Jesus who is your friend, the same Jesus who died for you, he actually rose again for you also. And, and, and when he stepped out of the darkness of that tomb into the light of day, he did it so you can do the same thing. You can step out of the darkness of your past into the light of a new day. Do you understand? And so when God looks at you, when you call out to Jesus, when God looks at you, he's not looking at you through the lens of your past. He's looking at you through the lens of your potential and your purpose. He's calling you on. Move on. Let me put that another way. You can't out-sin the, run of God, the love of God. You can't out-sin the love of God. You can't. It can't be done. You can't out-sin the love of God. You say, well, Mike, you don't, you don't, know, you don't know my past. You don't know what I've done. If, if you can outsend the love of God, then we all can. But I'm telling you, we can't. It's impossible. That's why he came. He came and he died once for all. You gotta let it go, man. You gotta let the hate go. Ma'am, you gotta let the hate go. You gotta move on. A little bit, a little bit of hate, a little bit of hate uh, does hurt. And so people who can't forgive themselves, often the way their hatred also takes shape is they can't forgive other people. There's bitterness, right? And so they're hanging, they're hanging on to, to their painful past. They're hanging on to, to, to whatever that person or those people did to them. And, and it's almost like they think that by, by hanging on and by refusing to move on, they're somehow punishing the, per, the person who hurt them. But it doesn't work that way, right? It's like drinking rat poison and waiting for the person who hurt you to die. It doesn't work. You gotta let it go. You gotta let it go because the thing is, if you spend your entire life grasping onto your painful past, you can never take hold of the life that he has for you today. Especially in the times that we're walking through today, you gotta let it go. You gotta let it go. By the way, what I didn't say is, hey, you need to trust dangerous people. I didn't say that. In fact, I would go as far as to say this. And if somebody hurt you and they did something illegal, press charges. They should face consequences. What I am saying is for your sake, let it go. Let it go. You hang on to that stuff. You're losing the battlefield in your mind and, and the story that you tell one day about the life that you're living today is gonna be radically effective. Let it go. Radically affected, let it go. Gossip, the devil comes to steal and kill and destroy. Gossip is a destroyer. When you gossip, you're cooperating with the devil. So you lie about someone behind their back and you cause destruction or maybe you tell truth. You tell the truth about somebody behind their back. But it's still destructive because like you can't ungossip. It's like unringing a bell. It doesn't work. And even if you were telling the truth, if you really cared about them, who would you tell? You would tell them, but you didn't tell them. You told a bunch of people behind their back and that's destruction. And, and what I'm suggesting to you is not even this. It's not even really for, 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 for me today. It's not about me saying to you, you know what, that's really sad that you did that. That's really mean. No, I'm, what I'm saying is you're losing the battlefield in your mind. And so you wonder, why am I so anxious? Why am I so full of self-pity? Why am I so demoralized? Why am I so defeated? Why don't I see any victory in my life? That's why. That's why. One more form of hatred I would refer to as apathy. Apathy. 
Apathy is living a life where you would rather make excuses than make a difference. Apathy is when you see someone over there who really needs help and you immediately start to make excuses. Not me, not today, not here. It's not gonna work. See, the Bible's really clear that the way that we treat the broken and the bruised, the hurting and the hopeless, the, the lonely and the lost, says a lot about the impact or says a lot about where we stand in this battlefield that is our mind. So I wanna talk about a couple excuses that you might be feeling. The first excuse that, w- that often comes to our mind is this, well, I can't fix everything, especially in this season of life. I can't fix everything. Yeah, I agree, you can't fix everything. But you know what? You can do something. Imagine the world that we would live in if every single person said, I can't fix everything, but you know what I think I'll do? I think I'll do something. What a world we would live in. And the second excuse that's gonna come to you is, well, I can't, I can't help everybody. I agree, you can't help everybody. You know what you should do? Help somebody. Help somebody. I bet you before the end of today, you're gonna have an opportunity to help somebody to speak an encouraging word, to be kind, to be generous with someone. And I know earlier, uh, Leah was talking about uh, food for hope. Man, why don't you jump in and be a part of that? Why don't, why, why don't you uh, prepare a package? Why, why don't you give to help for these people, these, these kids that need your help? No, I get it, you can't help everybody. You can help somebody though. And that's the way that we win the battlefield in our mind. So there's three lies that lose ground. Number one, you can't trust God. Number two, a little bit of hate never hurt anybody. And number three, finally, that Nissan Versa will meet my deepest needs, okay? The third lie is this, that Nissan Versa will meet my deepest needs. And before I go any further, I realize that throughout the course of the next several minutes, I might say things that might make you think, if you own a Nissan Versa, then I'm making fun of you. I am not. In fact, I will go as far as to say this. If you drive a Nissan Versa, Okay? and you can take a picture of yourself standing beside your Nissan Versa and send it to us, I will send you a $5 Starbucks card. Okay? Not your neighbor's Versa, yours. Okay, you can't, come on now. Remember, point one, don't lie, okay? There's a show called The Price is Right. You've seen it? I think everyone's seen it at least once, you know? And, and so... Some guy says, like, Fred Flintstone, come on down. You're the next contestant. Do you guys even know who Fred Flintstone is? Okay. I thought only old people did, but. Okay, so Fred Flintstone, come on down. You're the next contestant on The Price is Right. And Fred, Fred Flintstone yabba dabba doos his way down to the front, you know, and he's so excited. I found out, by the way, that they give all the contestants on The Price is Right, they, they have them slam two Red Bulls before they film the show. It makes sense, doesn't it, when you think about it? Because they're so wired. They're so wired. So Fred's there, and, and he bids $1, and all the other people bid way too high, and Fred gets up there, and they say, Fred, you get to play Plinko which is awesome. Plinko is great, right? And, and, and we're all waiting on the edge of our seats for the announcer to say this. You could win what? A new car. And you go, whoa, a new car. And Fred was wired before, but now he's off the chain. Like this is like the greatest day of Fred's life, right? And let's imagine that like Fred is just on fire in Plinko when he wins the thing. Let me ask you an obvious question to make a point. What if Fred Flintstone was a profoundly unhappy, dissatisfied person without a Nissan Versa when he walked into the studio that day. I would suggest to you that when he walked out of the studio later, he would be a profoundly unhappy, dissatisfied person who now owns a Nissan Versa. Okay, that's the lie of materialism. The lie of materialism suggests this, that something out there can fix the brokenness in here, that's it. A Nissan Versa will meet my deepest needs. It's like the story in Matthew chapter four, right after Jesus got baptized. He goes out into the wilderness and he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights and the devil comes and tempts him. And one of the temptations that he gives to Jesus is he says, hey, turn those stones into bread. And Jesus responds by saying this, that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now you'll notice, by the way, that Jesus didn't say to the devil, I'm never eating bread again. Bread is bad. Didn't say that. 
but he did make a statement of priority. He said, what's more important to me, what's more of a priority to me is inside where my strength and where my peace and where my hope and where my victory comes from, I need God. So, so by the way, there's nothing wrong with having stuff. There's nothing wrong with having a boat and having a car and having a house and having great clothes. Nothing wrong with having stuff. The problem, of course, is when stuff has you. Okay, Be- because here's what's, here's what's amazing. If you ask a, a majority of our culture, if you ask them this question, will a Nissan Versa meet your deepest needs or whatever it is, a boat or clothes or whatever, they would say, of course not. Of course not. We all know that something out there can't fix what's broken in here. And yet I would suggest to you that a majority of our culture, if you look at their conversations and the way they spend their money and the way they spend their time, they live as if that Nissan Versa could meet their deepest needs. And that's profoundly sad to me. Can you imagine living your entire life for a purpose that you know is way beneath you, is way too small for you? I had someone say to me the other day, man, w- w- are people really gonna like, give to the church during this season? I said, I imagine so. I don't really worry about stuff like that, but I would imagine so because if the world ever needed help, now's the time. <laughs> you know, if, if the world ever needed hope, now's the time. If there was ever a time in my life that I wanted to invite God's blessing into every area of my life, it would be now. What a sad thing it would be to live your entire life as if a Nissan Versa <laughs> could be your deepest needs. See, it's the battlefield of the mind and, 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 the, and these lies, what, what they do is they help us lose ground and they greatly affect, they gravely affect the story that we're gonna tell one day about the chapter that we're living right now. So I wanna give you three truths that lead to triumph. Truth number one, prayer is power. Prayer is power. Prayer is an act of humility. Prayer says, God, without you, this is impossible, but with you, it's possible. God, without you, I'm destined for defeat, but with you, I'm believing for this. I'm believing for victory. I'm believing to see victory in my life. I'm I'm believing to bring victory in my life. And there's three kinds of prayer that I would highlight today. And first is just structured prayer, a prayer in the morning or a prayer in the evening. You know, when you pray in the morning, you say, God, please help me to make today my masterpiece. Please help me to make today your masterpiece, God. You know, just be with me. Give me strength. Give me energy. Give me enthusiasm. Give me hope. Give me victory today. Or in the evening to pray, God, thank you for this day. Thank you for all the great things I saw. And there was a couple times that I wandered off. Help me do better tomorrow. The second kind of prayer I'd like to talk about is just minute by minute, second by second prayers. There's like in, inviting God or recognizing the fact that God's with me all day, every day. Like Ephesians chapter two, verse 10 says this, that we are God's workmanship created, to, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. And so that's just like a second by second, moment by moment prayer. God, would you please be with me? Would you please give me eyes to see like you see? Would you please give me ears to hear like you hear? Would you please give me hands to work on behalf of the lost and the lonely and the broken and the bruised like you do? Would you please give me mouth to speak words of life? Would you please give me today, right now in this moment, would you make me not the kind of person who spends his entire life making excuses, but may I be somebody in small ways and big ways that actually makes a difference instead of making excuses? And the third kind of prayer that I think is really powerful is corporate prayer. There's something profound that happens when a number of God's people get together and pray. When we, when we pray with each other, when we pray for each other. It's so powerful. So number one, prayer is power. Number two, confession is crucial. Confession is crucial. Confession is coming back to this moment where we say, God, I know I can trust you. And I want to live for you, but the truth is I wander off from time to time. It, it's amazing because one of Jesus' disciples John says that if we confess our sins to God, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
And what's amazing about that to me, think about this. What it means is if I wandered off track, and we all do from time to time, if I wandered off track a little bit today, I confess my sins to God, and whatever ground I lost in the battlefield of my mind, I get back. Just like that. Whatever ground I lost, I take back. He cleanses me from all unrighteousness. I take that ground back. And in the book of James in the New Testament, it also says that we are supposed to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another that we might be healed. Well, that's a big deal. We need to pray with one another. We need to pray for one another. We need to confess to one another. I I guess what I'm suggesting is I wanna take a little bit of a time out here and I wanna suggest that we really need one another and that everybody in the world needs some one another's. Does that make sense? We all need some one another's. And so I wanna ask you to do something for me right now. I wanna ask you to make a commitment in your mind right now that you're gonna be a part of being a one another for someone else through Southside Church. So what we're looking for you to do today is we're looking for you to join a Facebook group called Southside Groups. And it's a way that you can say, man, I'm willing to be a one another for somebody because maybe you're in a place right now in your life where you don't have any one another's. And I'm telling you, this whole thing, it's gonna be okay, but we're gonna need each other. You're gonna need some one another's in your life. And to step out and, and, and to join that Facebook group called Southside Groups is your first step towards uh, getting some one another's, you know? Or maybe you're somebody right now and you say, man, I got a lot of one another's. I got a strong support system. That is awesome. I love it. I'm so stoked for you. That's great. So here's my question for you. Would you be willing out of that strong foundation that you have to be a one another for someone else? Who maybe doesn't have a one another? Would you be willing to help a lonely person find connection? What's amazing about our world today is there is no more geography. I mean, we could have people from Rosedale and Red Deer in a group together. Would we let people from Red Deer? Yes, of course we would. Red Deer's awesome. We could have people from Great, Bit- Great Britain and Greendale, from Fairfield Island in the Philippines. We could have people from all over the world joining together and spending some time one-anothering every week or once every couple weeks, just getting together and, and, and praying with one another, praying for one another, just learning the Bible. So three truths that bring triumph. Number one, prayer is power. Number two, confession is crucial. And number three, God's word is an offensive weapon. God's word is an offensive weapon. I really, really want to stress that because I, I want you to know that we're fighting for victory here. So, so, so I don't think in this battlefield that is our mind, it's enough to just say, hey, stop believing lies. Stop it. No, no, we, 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 we've got to take hold of the truth. We've got to move forward with the truth. We've got to be a little bit offensive. You say, I'm already offensive. Not, I'm not talking about that kind of offensive. I just mean take the offensive in the battlefield of your mind. If you read in Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And he says, you know what? We've got to go into battle. We've got to fight from victory. And he talks about how we do that. He lays out the armor of God. And it's amazing because you can read through it in Ephesians 6 on your own, but you'll notice that there is no armor on the backside of the believer. I think I should say that again. You should look it up. Ephesians chapter 6. Look it up. There is no armor on the backside of the believer. You know why? Because we're called to play offense. We're called to move forward. And the last piece of the armor that Paul talks about is he talks about the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I love that because the sword of the spirit is a precision weapon. It's a precision weapon. And I really think whatever is going on in your mind in this battlefield that is your mind today, this week, I want to suggest to you that you need to attack it with precision. So maybe maybe you're watching this right now and you're thinking to yourself, man, like, I can't get over this sense of worrying about what's ha- going to happen next week and, and next month and next year and I'm just caught up and I'm losing today in my worry for, 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 next, for next year. I would say for you, y- you should handle that with precision. You should turn to Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, which says this, that we can trust in the Lord with all our heart 
and lean not on our own understanding. Acknowledge him in all our ways. And you know what he'll do? He'll direct your path. Hey, you know what? Just, just, just make today your masterpiece. Trust in him with all your heart. Lean not in your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways. He'll direct your path. Tomorrow's going to be fine. Let next week worry about itself. But right now, you need to attack whatever is going on in the battlefield of your mind with precision. Or, or, or maybe you're feeling like this sense of terror. I talked to some people this week and you're just terrified. You need to attack it with some precision. Turn your attention to Psalm 23, which says this, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Listen to this. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you're with me. And surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Or maybe you're just anxious, like just day-to-day anxious. Maybe you need to attack that with precision and turn your attention to Matthew chapter six where Jesus says this. So don't worry, saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? I sometimes wonder in our current culture if we could add or how much toilet paper we have, you know? So much to worry about it feels like if you let your mind go there, right? And we see it. But Jesus says, your heavenly father knows that you need these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Or maybe right now, if you were completely truthful, you'd say that you're really struggling with condemnation or self-hatred. I think you need to attack that with precision right now. Turn your attention to Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. It says, there is now no condemnation. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know why? Because the law of the Spirit through Jesus Christ set you free from the law of sin and death. You're as right as right can be right now. Not because you're great, but because Jesus is so great and he loves you so much. So here's the thing. You're telling a story with your life. And one day, weeks from now or months from now, or years from now, you're gonna look back at this moment, you're gonna look back at this chapter, and you're gonna ask yourself, what kind of story did I tell? And I'm gonna tell you the answer. I'm gonna tell you the answer right now. This is the story that you're gonna tell. No, you got this. You got this. This battle that's raging, this battlefield in your mind, you got this. It's just real simple. There's three lies that we can believe that will have us lose ground, but you're not gonna buy those. We're gonna take hold of those three truths. And I guarantee you this, you're gonna live a life where you're not fighting for victory, you're fighting from victory. And what's gonna happen is the next thing you know, you're gonna look back at this chapter and you're gonna say, you know what? I saw victory in my life. I saw victory in my friendships. I saw victory in my family. I brought victory to others. That's the story. That's how it's gonna be. You have everything everything, everything you could ever need to see victory, to, to bring victory. So before I close right now, for, first of all, again, thanks for having me over. <laughs> how awesome is this? It's so great to be with you. So let me ask you, how are you doing? I, I, I guess what I'm wondering is, when you look at your life right now, do you, do you think to yourself, man, like, I keep on trying these things and I, and, 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 and I keep on doing these things and I think that it's going to make me happy and I think that it's going to be okay, but I find that I, I might be losing this battlefield in my mind because I'm feeling more anxious and, and I'm feeling uh, more self-pity and I'm feeling uh, more terrified and I'm feeling more isolated and more alone. And all this thing that I thought, all these things that I did and all these things that I've said and all these things that I've tried that I thought would satisfy, they just haven't satisfied. Or maybe you look back right now and the way you're living your life is like, you're just, you're just full of this self-hatred. You look back and you think, I, I shouldn't have done what I did. I shouldn't have said that. I get you. I believe you. We all have a story to tell. I have a story to tell. But, but, but I guess what I need you to know is that when God looks at you, when you call out to Jesus, he doesn't look at you through the lens of your failings. He looks at you through the lens of forgiveness because of what Jesus did through his death. 
And when God looks at you, he doesn't judge you by your past. He looks at you through the lens of your potential and your purpose, the power of the resurrection. You don't have to live in bitterness anymore. You don't have to live in gossip anymore, thinking that somehow if you drag other people down that it's gonna make you okay. I get it. It doesn't work and you know that. Or maybe you're in a place in your life that you would look that maybe the, you know, the, the financial foundations of our world are being a little bit shaken right now, aren't they? And you're thinking to yourself, man, like I, I, had, I, I put so much hope in that Nissan Versa. <laughs> you know, I, I put so much hope in, in my retirement savings plan. I put so much hope in the stuff that I owned. And maybe you come to a point where you realize that enough is never enough anyways. And I guess what I'm here to tell you today is that Jesus is the more that you've been looking for all along. He's your friend. <laughs> and he loves you so much. And I'm telling you that with Jesus, it, it doesn't matter what's going on out here. All the brokenness, all the defeat will not change the fact that he'll make you whole and he'll bring you victory that starts on the inside and comes outside. So the first step to winning this battle, this, this battlefield of your mind, the first step is to invite Jesus. And you spend the rest of your life not fighting for victory, but fighting from victory. So if that's you and you're ready to make that next step right now, that is awesome. Again, thanks for having me over and the privilege that I'd like to take hold of right now is just to pray for you. So why don't you pray along with me wherever you are as I pray out loud. Dear God, thank you. Thank you. I pray today, right now, I, I want to start living from victory. So Jesus, today I invite you to be my savior. I hand you all my baggage and all my regrets and all my past. I want to move beyond it. And today, Jesus, I invite you to be my Lord. I pray that I would step out of the darkness of my past into the light of tomorrow and today and beyond. I want to follow you into a life worth living, a story worth telling called victory that starts today and stretches into eternity. And for every single person watching, God, who invited us into their home, amazing. Father, I pray, let hope rise. Let hope rise. Let hope rise. God, that, that no matter what is going on the outside, Father, that we would know that because of you, we can have a peace that passes understanding on the inside. We can have a hope that is unshakable on the inside. And we can live from your victory, that we can see victory, that we can bring victory. We love you. We're thankful in your name. And everybody said, amen. Amen.